Bibles, please meet me in 2 John. Again, we're in 2 John. We're going to uh, finish the chapter, verses 7 through 13. Uh, that's 2 John chapter, chapter 1, only chapter in the book, but we're going to go through 7 through 13. And can you please stand to your feet in reverence to God's holy word? All right, and it reads, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teachings, do not receive him in your house or give him any greetings. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd come. Good morning. Green lights on. If you will turn just for a moment to Isaiah chapter 49 this morning. Let's start there this morning. I don't know about you, if you uh, are in God's Word, you often, at least for me, I often wonder why things jump out to me in the passage. So I just want to share uh, this with you. This happened Friday morning. I was in uh, my quiet time with the Lord and uh, just thinking about our church and thinking about each of you and had the question in my devotional about, do we often feel forgotten? We often feel forgotten by the Lord. And I was just pondering that for us through all that's going on in our church. If you ever feel that way with all your ailments, all the distractions, and even Wednesday night we're talking about struggling and struggling well and what that looked like and persecution and how that affects us. And came to this verse. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. I'll read uh, through 15. It says, for the, for, says, Behold Zion, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Well, this is the people of God crying out to God, Hey, have you forgot about us? Or have you forsaken us? I want you to pay attention to how God responds to it. So for me, it would be, I know this is not what happened, but it's like God sitting with God's people at Starbucks and they're having this conversation back and forth. Maybe you don't like Starbucks, but I do. So God hears the people saying, hey, God, have you forgotten about us? And then God responds in this way with a question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? 
That's a rhetorical question. The question is, there's no way. There's no way a mom would ever forget a child. I, I'm not a mom, I'm a dad, but I can't imagine uh, forgetting my child. And there is something between a mom and a son and daughter from just the standpoint of nursing the child. Could, could, could a mom ever do that? The answer is obviously no. But then God goes on to say this, even these may forget. Like though that's probably unlikely, if it does happen, it might happen. He says this in response, yet I will never forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand, and your walls or your homes are continually before me. This is what he says, though, in verse 13. And I pray that we would find this this morning. He says this in 13. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. And that's where that question comes from, from the people of God. But God, you've forgotten us. God's like, no, no, I haven't forgotten you. I'm near you. I'm with you. I have compassion on you. And I've written you on the palms of my hand. And as I was sitting in the coffee shop Friday morning pondering this, I had no idea what was about to come. And many of you have heard the news this morning, and I come to the pulpit, and I was telling someone this morning, I'd rather be there than I would be here. I don't want to preach this morning, not because I don't want to preach, but because I need the comfort of the Lord. And I was pondering this all day on Friday, like, what is God trying to say to me? I went to, to bed Friday night, as I always do, and woke up, and there's only been a few times I've gotten phone calls that you wish you had never gotten. So early Saturday morning at 8.15, I'm in donut country. There's no better place to be, really, on a Saturday morning, honestly. And I got a phone call from my professor from school, and I found it odd. And right after he called, I didn't answer. He sent, hey, call me back, it's urgent. Oh, this is not good. And I got on the phone and my professor said my best friend had committed suicide the night before. I went to my car and I began to weep and yet God in his mercy and his kindness to me brought this passage I just read 24 hours before. I had no idea why God would give me that verse on a Friday morning, but in his goodness to me. In the moment of a tragedy, he brings me back to his word and he says to me, and in that moment, God, why have you forsaken me? That's what I felt like. My best friend for 26 years. My, one of my longest friendships I've ever had. Gone in a moment. And I said to God, why have you forsaken me? When he said to me, Todd, can a mother forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, taught even if these forget about you, I will never forget you, for I have engraved you in the palms of my hand. I will comfort you and have compassion on you. So I come with that message this morning to all of us as God's people. God has not forgotten about us. 
No matter where you are in your journey with Him. No no matter what surprises may come to you. No matter what afflictions may come upon you. God's holy word says this. He has not forgotten about us. Though our hearts may be troubled, we can find hope in that. I pray that would be true for you. And so yesterday, I'd much rather sit there, but I believe with all assurance, God's called me to preach to you this morning. I want to do that, but I want you to know where it's coming from this morning. It's coming from a place of brokenness and dependence on the Lord. This is a message only that God would have me preach. So if you're there this morning and you feel lonely or absent or God has forsaken you, I want to take a few moments that you would find comfort in these verses. And then I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to Hop over to 2 John, chapter, the only chapter. Look at verse 7 through 13. Let's take a moment to be still before the Lord. Cry out to Him if you feel like you have been forgotten. want to speak God's word over our troubled hearts this morning. For the Lord has comforted his people. He will have compassion on us. Those who are afflicted. Maybe you would respond the way The people did. But God, have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten about me? Though I know you say you comfort me and I know you say you have compassion on me, it feels like I've been forgotten. Now I want you to hear the words of God spoken over you this morning. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. God, I'm grateful that you see us. I'm grateful you remember us. I'm grateful that you keep your promises to us, and I'm grateful that you will comfort us and you pour out your compassion on us. We have been etched in the palms of your hand. I'm grateful, God, that in the palms of those hands are not just our names that have been engraven in them, but there is the wounds of the cross in them. And it's because of the wounds of the cross, because of your pierced hands, that we have comfort and compassion. That we have a hope that's eternal. That your promise is just as true as it is today, as it was 2,000 years ago when you spoke to your disciples. You will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. May we find rest and comfort 
and that this morning. So God, as always, we come, the Apostle Paul says, and we humble ourselves and ask that you, God, would work in our hearts. Bring us hope, healing, and freedom that would lead to joy everlasting. Praise to the mighty name of Christ Jesus. The people of God said this morning, boldly, amen. Let's go to 2 John. As we finish this small little letter that John is writing, if you remember from last week, John is writing to the local church. He's writing to a place of Powell's Chapel. And we looked last week at the, the warnings of how uh, the, the world wants to come against the church. So he gives us some warnings. Tells us what it looks like, what we have to know, we have to believe, we have to trust, we have to have the truth, and we have to have love, we have to abide in God's commandments. And now this morning, he's going to continue to give us a warning. Now he's going to move the warning from, hey, what, what is last week the warning was about the internal warning. The internal warning of what could happen if we don't love God and love one another. There could be great conflict, and conflict within the body could devastate the body. And so now John, his pastor, says this. We've now looked at the internal situation of the church. I was telling the deacons this morning, I have so much gratitude beyond belief of what God has done internally in our church since I've been here. The love and care that we have and sacrifice that we have for one another, I'm so grateful. But now I want to turn our attention here at Powell's Chapel to the world. Because this is what will happen as we love one another and we love God. There is an adversary that's going to come against us. He's going to be livid. The, the more we grow in God and the more we grow in fellowship and oneness and love for one another, Satan is going to wreak havoc on us. But this is how he's going to do it. And John is going to give us three warnings in this text. Let's look at them this morning together. In verse 7, he gives us the first warning. He says this in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such one is a deceiver and is the Antichrist. The first thing that we must take warning against or guard against are those that are deceivers. What does the word deceiver mean in the text? What is John talking to about? John is saying this word. The word deceiver in the text means one that wanders. One that is wandering. So there are deceivers, wanderers, that are going to come against us. So John, in this text, the rest of this passage is, what do we do to guard against those false prophets? Those that have wandered from the faith. Remember what John said in 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 19. He says this as a warning in the last letter he wrote. They went out from us. They were a part of us, is, is what John says. They were inside the body, these wanderers. But they've left us. 
And now they're coming back to us. They wandered from us. They wandered from the truth. They went and found what they wanted to find. And now they're trying to bring back what they found. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would continue to be with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they were not ever a part of us. It goes on to say this in Second John chapter or First John chapter four, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Paul says in Acts, or Luke says in Acts uh, about the new church. This is the, the the book of Acts is an amazing book. It's about the the first acts of the church. He gives. Luke gives a warning to the early church. He says this in Acts 20. For from among ourselves will arise men and women speaking twisted things. Twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. You see, there are going to be people that look like us that aren't of us. And going to take the truth and going to twist the truth. Is that not what their father, the serpent, did in the garden? Remember what he did. He didn't come up with a new truth in the garden. He twisted the truth in the garden. Did God really say that? I don't know that's what God's word says. And these deceivers, these wanders are, are not going to be so blatant that you and I could see that it's, the false truth, it's going to look like the truth, but it's going to be so twisted that we'll be confused and begin to, us ourselves, wander that way. Here's what Jesus himself said. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. What does the Bible call us, the believer? Sheep's. So a wolf isn't going to walk in here looking like a wolf. A, a wolf is going to walk in here looking like a sheep. And so John is warning us, hey, you, you've got to know whether it's a wolf or whether it's a sheep. He goes on to say, but, but beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You ever been around a wolf before? They're not like kind animals. It's not like you're going to go cuddle up with them. It's not like you come to my house and like lemon attacks you that way. Like they're going to straight out attack you. Like lemon's going to lick you. Wolves are going to attack you. They're really, really mischievous animals. Cunning, baffling, powerful, evil. And that's what Jesus is warning against. That is what Luke is warning us against. That is what John is warning us against. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as what? An angel of light. So it should be no surprise that his servants also 
distinguish themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Here's the million-dollar question. Then. And John is going to say to this, and how is it that we are to guard ourselves against deceivers? He says, you want to know what a deceiver is? This is what a deceiver is. He goes on to say this. Those deceivers say this. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one deceiver and the Antichrist. So what John is saying you must warn against is those that are going to teach a different gospel, a different truth. Now here's the scariest part. It's going to look so much like the truth that we will be deceived. So the question that you and I have to ask, and John's going to go into it here even more, is this, do you know the truth? Would you and would I, if a false prophet, if a deceiver, if a wanderer came into our midst and began to, to teach something, even though they were teaching out of this, would we know enough that they were deceivers? Because I promise this, deceivers are like their father. And what they have to say is super, super compelling. They're not so dumb to think, oh man, I, I've got to keep it just close enough to the truth so the people that don't know the truth will think it is the truth. And that's what's happening in this church here that John is talking about. Those people that have gone out from us have now come back to us. And so often do we not want to welcome those who left us come back to us? John's going to talk about that in a moment too. But do we have the spiritual discernment of those who have gone out from us that come back up to us? Are they coming back with the truth or with lies? And now John says, this is what they're going to do. They're going to come and they're not going to confess Christ as the risen Savior. They're not going to come talking about the God himself pulled on clothes, skin clothes, and came and dwelt among us. They're not going to believe that. Now, they're going to talk about as if they believe that. And therefore, they're not going to believe that he lived a perfect, sinless life. They're not going to believe that he went to the cross. They're not going to believe that he rose from the dead. They're not going to believe that he's the only way to God. But he'll be so masked with truth It'll be hard to know what the truth is, is what John is saying to us. So then he says this, then what are we to do as we guard against the deceivers? The deceivers are those who aren't teaching Christ, though it appears that they are. Again, I'll pick on them. I don't care. Joel Osteen is a deceiver. Now, he deceives us, but I promise you go watch him on TV. He's going to have a lot of truth in there. It's going to sound really compelling, really invitational. Why do you think on a Sunday morning he has 50,000 people at his church? Because it sounds like the truth. But if you really know the truth, you'll pick up pretty quickly it's not the truth. But we have to understand that. And that's now what 
John is going to say to us. We must now guard the word. He says it in verse 8. After he tells us, guard against the deceivers, he says this in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. For everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. We must guard ourselves. We must watch ourselves. How are we to watch ourselves? By watching and knowing and guarding God's Word. Watching and knowing God's Word does not mean this. And I don't mean to shame anyone in this. It doesn't mean that on Sunday morning you pick up God's Word and you bring it to church and then you put it right back where you found it Sunday afternoon. Here's the thing that has driven me crazy about the South. I do not understand why their Bibles that are in the back of people's car, like in the sunlight. It is clear as day they have not moved those things because now the sun is beating on them so far, so they're discolored. But how many people have you seen here in the South put their Bibles in the back seat of their car? Because they're not guarding God's Word. Like We ought to be in God's Word so much that the papers are falling out of itself. Like when you read something over and over and over again, it gets worn out. Like you and uh, the, 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 I don't know what they're called, the people that redo books. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, refurbished books, but they have a name, a cool name. I don't know what they're called. Like a shoe cobbler, but I know they're not a shoe cobbler. Like a Bible cobbler, I don't know what they're called. But you ought to have like a direct line with that dude. Like, he ought to know, start knowing you by name. Like, every two years, he ought to know that, oh, it's time to redo their Bible because they've worn it out so much. But are we guarding God's Word? Are we treasuring God's Word? Like, think about all the things that you treasure in your house. Do you not guard it with your life? Like if someone busts up in your house and they go after your wife and kids, do you not guard it with your whole life? Except that comedian, Nate Bargatze, have you ever heard of him? He's hilarious. He says when a, a, a person comes into his house, he sleeps. This is hilarious. It's not in my notes. This is those moments like stick to the notes. I'm not sticking to the notes. He says in his stand-up bit, he says he sleeps, he lets his wife sleep closest to the door to the bedroom. I'm like, well, that's kind of crazy. He says this, because when she wakes up and the burglar comes in, she's going to feel a foot in her back. I'm kicking him to, to the burglar, and I'm running out the house. Like, that's not guarding your wife. That's sacrificing your wife. He's, a, he's hilarious, and he's clean, so I, I can't say that. So watch him. He's funny. But do you and do I guard what? Is what he says. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for. And what John is saying, not that you've worked for your salvation, but you've been given this salvation that now you must, what, guard. It's what Paul says to young Timothy. Guard the deposit that Christ Jesus has put into you. Could, could you imagine, and we just celebrated it, 
last Monday, Memorial Day, what if we did not have men and women who guarded us? Who sacrificed their time? It would not go well for us. I think of the men and women, even in our church, that have guarded us from the evil ones. I'm so grateful for their sacrifice. But God has called us to do that with God's holy word. He goes on to say, because when you guard it, and you guard what you've been given, he says in the latter half of verse 8, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but you may win the full reward. I think part of that verse, the full reward, is that moment when we get to heaven and the reward that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine hearing those from the voice of God? Well done. You guarded what I gave you. If we go back to what we studied last week, if we go back to what we studied in the book of 1 John, this gift of salvation was given to you. You did not go earn it. It was entrusted to you by the God of the universe. Of all the things that God could give you and I, He gave us His most treasured possession, His Son. Would we not want to guard that? And that is what John is saying. And what is the Word? Remember what the Word is. It is Christ Himself. We saw that in 1 John chapter 1. He says for this, whoever guards that, whoever comes to that full reward, this is how you do it. Anyone, everyone who goes on ahead and does not what? Abide in the teaching. You see, when you abide in God's word, and you abide in God's teaching, you will know the truth from lies. Because it will be, the, the truth of God will be so second nature to you. That when a lie comes that's not from God's word, you'll know that you know that you know because it abides in you. Does God's word abide in you? Or do you just simply know about God's word? There's, some, there's a difference between knowing about God's word and knowing God's word. You see, knowing about God's word is not what the psalmist says. I've hidden your, heart, your word in my heart that I might not what sin against you. I've hidden it. I've treasured it. I've taken care of it. I've implanted it in me. That's way different than knowing about it. That's guarding it and hiding it and letting it guard and hide you. He says this, how do I know then if it abides in me? How do I know if God's word abides in me? He says, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You understand who God is and you understand who the Son is. My question to you is this now this morning. Have you hidden God's word in your heart that you guard it with everything that you have? The next two are two separate things. He says this, guard your fellowship. This is verse 10 through the end. He says, if anyone comes to you, any of those that have left you and come back to you, any of those deceivers, any of those wanderers, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what's the teaching? 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If someone comes to you without the gospel, this is what he says. If someone comes back into our midst that does not bring the gospel with him, he says this, it's so harsh. And does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting. He says, don't even say hello to him. Now here's the million dollar question. Because so many of us are like, yeah, I wouldn't let that dude in my house. But how many things do you let in your house through a television? How many things do you let in your house through your iPhone? How many things do you let in your house through media? See, it's easy for us to say, I'm not going to welcome that dude in my house, but you got your phone in your hand that's welcome into your house. And so it's so easy for us to say, oh, it's not a person. But what is coming into your house? And what are we letting into our homes? And then he says this to us as parents. We parents must guard our own kids from themselves what's letting into the house. Like, What are your kids watching on YouTube? Who are they watching? Like it might seem very mundane, very benign, but you start doing research on what they're watching, you will be mortified. You should be horrified. Me as a dad, like I have to be hypervigilant what Tennyson and Cedar are watching on their iPad. Because on the surface, it might look all right. But you start digging where that's coming from and what you're now paying for through every ad and advertisement that's coming off that YouTube, you will be horrified what's coming into your home. And that is what John is saying. Don't let these people in your home, don't even say hello to them. What he's saying, don't be kind to them. I think of this in my own life. How often am I watching something that I ought not to laugh at, but I'm laughing at it? That is welcoming it into my house, and that is me giving it a greeting. I'm saying that for me as the pastor. And I, therefore, I'm letting deceivers into my home, and I'm not guarding what's been entrusted in me. He goes on to say, don't, don't even have anything to do with them. That's first, guard the fellowship that's coming outside of you. And then he ends it so beautifully. He brings it back into the church. We are to guard the fellowship with one another. He says this, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use pen or ink. Instead, I hope to come to you, what? Face to face. John could have kept writing letter after letter after letter after letter. He could have kept doing relationship through letter. But John said, no, I've got to fight and guard for relationship. I need to see you face to face. And again, I know people are watching. And people, like, COVID did a great thing for the church. Let us go virtual. And yet... My hope and prayer is that we would never use virtual church 
as an excuse not to do face-to-face. There is something about guarding relationship face-to-face that is so important. And man, this last couple weeks for me with the church, hearing about the men's Bible study, hearing about breakfast, hearing about pool parties, here, here, the picnic, I'm like, that is the church. This is a part of the church on a Sunday morning. Like This is a small hour that we have to be face-to-face. But I promise this church, this one hour that God has given us to be face-to-face is not enough to have fellowship with one another. How come? Because it's one big talking head talking to 50 heads. But y'all aren't talking back to me. I need y'all to talk back to me. And I don't mean by amens. I mean like what the deacons did to me this morning. They heard that I was in pain. They came into my office and said, you are human. I am human. Let's talk on a human level about your pain. That's what Rob and Rita did to me this morning. If I don't invite that and you don't invite that, we'll be stuck in our pain. We'll be stuck in our sin. We'll be stuck in our hopelessness. We'll be stuck in our helplessness. Face-to-face ministry is the most important thing that we can do. You see, John could have kept writing letter after letter after letter. And he could have ministered to him in that way. But there was something in the heart of John, even at his latest, 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 last breathing words that says, I got to get to you face to face. I got to see you. My hope and prayer for us, church, is that we would guard the fellowship that God has called us to, to do face to face ministry. I promise this this 45 minutes of me teaching on a Sunday morning is not enough for fellowship. It's just not enough. So are we going to guard the fellowship that God's given to us to do more, and I don't mean activities, I mean do more relationship. Because the more we know each other, the more we care for each other, the more we care for each other, the more we'll protect each other, the more we protect each other, the more we grow as a body of Christ. But you will never feel loved, I promise this church, You will never feel loved from me by me simply preaching to you. And I love you with all my heart. There's something that happens when I get off this stage and go do even a 45-minute basketball game with Jack. That was way more than about basketball. I hope everyone knows that. It was that one day this young man would know that his pastor cared about him enough to do friendship with him. Like that one day when he's 45 years old and there's, there's an 18-year-old kid talking smack about basketball, that he would be like, yeah, I'll challenge you, but it's not about basketball, it's because I love you. I hope that's the memory Jackson will always carry. Not about a basketball game, but man, my pastor loved me. And he actually kind of liked me. That's my hope for him. That's my hope for y'all. But that is what John is saying. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not write it at all. I'd rather come and do it face to face with you. How come? How come he wants to come face to face? It's in the text. So that what? Our joy may be complete. Remember how he started 1 John chapter 1. Remember what he said, turn over a few pages. 
He gives that beautiful, beautiful few things in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And he talks about this relationship with God and this relationship and fellowship with one another. And he says, I'm writing these things so that what? Our joy may be complete. If we want complete joy, we have to have relationship with one another and with God. We must be face to face. So I ask you in closing this morning, are we guarding against the deceivers? Do we know them? Are we guarding God's word? And are we guarding fellowship? Both the fellowship that will come to distract us and the fellowship that we have in this building to love one another so that what? Our joy may be complete. Let me pray for us this morning.